Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. Well, good morning, church. My name is Peter Anderson. I'm the senior pastor here at First Baptist Hanford, and we're excited uh, that you're joining along with us uh, this morning. Today, we are continuing through uh, this series that's called The Heart of Prayer. We're taking a hard look at Matthew 6. We're taking a look at the Lord's Prayer. Um, And so we're going to be in Matthew 6 today. We're going to be jumping around quite a bit uh, as well. So hopefully uh, you, as you have your Bibles open, you can flip to the different passages that we have. If not, we also have them on the screen um, for you today. Uh, But all that being said, I want to take you back to a simpler time. I want to take you back to March 2020. And the beginning of March 2020 was just like any other March. Uh, yeah, we, were, we were cruising to Easter as, as a church, as a staff. We were thinking about even like early conversations about what does it look like for us to, to go to two services. We were, we were celebrating some of the highest children's ministry numbers that we had had in quite, quite some time. And everything was going well. And then there was news of this, this little virus that was kind of starting to swirl around in the mainstream media. We were kind of keeping our eye on it, and no, it's not going to be that big of a deal. It's over in China. It's over in Europe. Wait, we got some cases now uh, in Washington and now California. And then a few days later, the entire world completely and totally uh, shut down. Uh, the stock of a, of a conference call app uh, called Zoom went completely and totally through the roofs. Most of us had never heard of it before. Now it's a household name. And the weirdest thing of all happened on top of all of that. When you went to the store, all of the toilet paper was completely and totally missing. All of the hand sanitizer was gone. The Clorox wipes were completely gone. Rice and beans, canned goods, soups, all went missing. Lines were forming around the block at Costco. Fights were literally breaking out over toilet paper. People were concerned because, hey, I, do, am I going to have uh, the available necessities, you know, to get through whatever it is that we're about to walk through that none of us have ever walked through before? You know, people started buying up all of these things in bulk because no one knew exactly what was going to happen next. The greedy ones actually, as you know, tried to buy it and then tried to resell it online for a profit. The people who didn't do that, they were just searching out for the necessities and buying those things in bulk, still have enough toilet paper to last them through the next pandemic that we are going to walk through. Either way, there was fear and uncertainty that was driving all of this behavior. Everything that was going on was driven through those things. And because of the the fact that people didn't know what was going to happen tomorrow or the next week, we as a society went out in droves in order to try and make sure that we were well taken care of, in order to try to make sure that we had the things uh, that we need. And I think we all do this sometimes. I mean, some of us did that then. But I think more of us do it more often than, than we think. I think there is something, when there is something that is unknown, right, something that is unproven, at least if you're like me, you want to do your best to control as many of the different variables that you can possibly control. You know, you're taking your kid to school for the first time ever. Maybe that's you. Probably not this year, but in years past. Maybe you think through, man, okay, this is my first kid at my first school. 
And I remember the first time that we took our, our, our oldest to school and we did everything, right? I mean, absolutely everything. You go in, you have like a teacher meet and greet and the names are on, you know, the desk and you go find the name and you figure out the bell schedule and, you know, you're talking to the principal and you're talking to the assistant principal and you have a conversation with the librarian about how do we get the best books. Like you're having all of these extra conversations. You look through the bus route and figure out, okay, like are you going to take the bus? No, we're not going to take the bus. We're actually going to pick you up every single day. And so, you know, you figure out all these, these, uh, these different variables you know you you go and you shake the slide to figure out what the durability of the playground might be or check how healthy the school lunches are you try to figure out all of these different variables that go into your kid going to school why because you want to be able to control all of those things you want to make sure that your 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 baby cub as a mama and papa bear are being completely and totally taken care of you want to make sure that your kids are safe you want to try to control the situation to the best of your ability. It's what we want to do. Maybe it's a health concern. You know, maybe as you've gotten older, your doctor tells you you have high blood pressure or, or, or cataracts are starting to sneak in, or even worse, you have some form of cancer. Something that's afflicting you, something that's affecting you uh, in some way, and it causes you anxiety. It causes you concern. And so you immediately go home and you do all of the research you can. You look up on WebMD all of the things that the doctor said that you have, and pretty, pretty soon you've diagnosed yourself worse than should you have not done any of that research at all. You know, but you go home and, and we do all that research and oftentimes to our detriment to see what the issues are and, and some of the things uh, you can do in order to improve your chances at overcoming this disease. Why? Because you want to try to control the variables that you can control. I remember when I was applying for a job down at High Desert Church. The, the place I was at prior to this, the executive pastor there, the guy who was responsible for hiring, told me that his responsibility is to try to shorten that gap of knowledge as much as possible so it makes it easier for people to be able to commit to jumping onto staff with them. Because you want to figure out all of these different things. You want to try to control all of these all of these different variables and whatever the unknown variable may be, we always like to control things to the best of our abilities because we feel safest when we're in control. You know, fill in whatever example that is from your life, wherever it is that you feel like you need uh, the most control. I remember when I was in high school, or excuse me, not high school, when I was in college, anytime we had like finals coming up, and I was like kind of anxious about the finals and I didn't know what was going to be on them. And, and rather than studying, I decided the thing that I could control was the cleanliness of my room and my closet. So I was that guy who like went home and like I organized my closet by like color of shirt, right? Because then if I could control that area of my life then everything else isn't as scary because I'm controlling something. We feel safest when we're in control. So knowing you have enough toilet paper for the duration of a pandemic is a big deal all of a sudden when before we just wanted to be sure we didn't run out when we were in the bathroom, right? Why? Well, because when uncertainty is present, control is comforting. That's really what frames this whole thing. When we're anxious, when we feel like things are out of control, right? When, when uncertainty is present, control is comforting. Any type of control is 
comforting. You know, actually back in the book of Exodus, we're going to be in Exodus a little bit today. It's going to be Exodus chapter 16, so you can jump there as I'm talking. But back in the book of Exodus, the Israelites kind of had the same thought. Right? Even though God had delivered them from Pharaoh, right? If you're familiar with the story, uh, you know, Exodus happens. All of the Israelite people are delivered from Pharaoh out of, out of slavery, out of captivity. He delivered them from Pharaoh. God had actually parted the Red Sea for them uh, to be able to walk on dry land all the way through. And then, you know, he closed that, that sea back up and Pharaoh's entire army was swallowed up by the sea. Yeah, God sent a pathway. God sent a leader for the Israelite nation, for them as they kind of moved forward, but the Israelite nation still didn't trust them. Now check this out from Exodus 16. It's verses 1 to 5. It starts here. It says, The whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. Okay? In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Those are their leaders. Verse 3 says, The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you've brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Verse 4, Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people were to go out each day and gather enough for that day. And in this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they're to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. Okay, so let's tear through this real quick. Okay, so the Israelites are upset. They're not happy. They're saying they would rather be slaves back in Egypt, because at least back in Egypt, we had pots of meat and things to, to, to be able to satisfy ourselves with. Granted, we weren't free, and we had to do hard manual labor, and all of the other terrible things that went along with, with living underneath the, the reign of Pharaoh. But hey, at least we wouldn't starve to death is kind of what they're, they're grumbling about. And they're crying out to God. They're crying out to their leader Moses as well. And God hears their voices. And at that point, God tells Moses to let the people know that they will have more than enough food. He says, I'm going to have more than enough. I'm going to be able to take care of everybody. They will have bread in the morning. He says they will have meat in the evening, and God is going to provide both of those things. Okay, verse 17 through 19 continues. It says this. It says, The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. Remember that last part, that no one is to keep any of it until morning. You know, later on in this passage even, it talks about the Israelites even see the glory of God forming in a cloud uh, off in the distance. Right? These people, the Israelite people, have direct evidence that God has put them in this position. That they are literally seeing God's handiwork in place. They see all of these things and still they are concerned that it isn't going to be enough. Why? Because when uncertainty is present, control is comforting. They wanted to be able to control the situation. They wanted to be able to make sure that, hey, you know what? I know God promises this every day, but I trust myself more than I trust God. And these people were so uncertain that God was going to take care of them, they actually deliberately disobey them after Moses tells them, hey, don't gather any more than what you're supposed to. And the, any, the only time you're supposed to gather twice as much is on the sixth day. Why? So they didn't have to do any work on the Sabbath. 
right? So only gather as much as you need. Here's the kicker, though, in verse 20. This is what it says. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They're deliberately disobeying God and his messenger. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and it began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. They were uncertain. The Israelites were uncertain that God was going to deliver on what it is that he had promised to them. They weren't sure God had their best intentions in mind. And so because of that, they began to do their best to gather more than what they needed in order to try and control the situation. And so in essence, they were going to take God out of the equation so they could try to control the outcome. They were trying to control the outcome. Why does this matter, though, as we're talking about the Lord's Prayer? Great question. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Verse 11, give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. In verse 11, there's a portion of this prayer that I believe will help us as we do our best to control our anxieties and control different situations. Look at verse 11 again by itself. It says this, give us today our daily bread. Very, very short verse. Very, very short and poignant part of the prayer. This is exactly the situation, though, that the Israelites found themselves in. They didn't mean give us this day our weekly bread. He didn't say give us this day our monthly bread or give us this day our annual bread. But today and today alone, give us our bread. That's what Jesus says that we, that we are supposed to, supposed to pray for. This portion in the Lord's prayer is about having kind of a humble dependence on God. We are supposed to depend on him and him alone. It says it, it, it is why we continue to look at Philippians 4, 6, and 7 while we're understanding the Lord's prayer. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says this. It says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation. Hold on, let's read that again. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So if we go back to our story, back in the book of Exodus, we actually see Moses like telling the Israelite people, hey, look, God's going to take care of you. Okay, you have present, he, they, they presented their requests to God, and as, as they presented those requests to God, God heard them. And as God heard them, he answered their, pra- their prayers. But where does this anxiety all come from? Where does it come from? It comes from the fear of the own, unknown. It comes from fear of uncertainty, oftentimes. So we try and grab all the knowledge and control all of the different things that we can possibly control. Right? We get anxious when, when we can't accurately predict an outcome of what we are anxious about. That's the whole reason that sports are so fun. Right? It produces an anxiety in us because we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen until it actually happens. We can't control the situations. So we sit there and there's like this cautious, optimistic anxiety that kind of flows over us as we are watching our sports teams. And then, like, we sit there and they outperform, they overperform, or they don't perform at all, like, you know, depending on your team. 
And then we no longer get anxious. Like, like once it's over, it's over because it's already happened. But we have this fear of the unknown. We have this fear of, of uncertainty. And because of that, we get anxious. So God tells us, hey, when you're anxious, pray. When you're anxious, pray. And when we look at how it is we are supposed to pray, it's taught to us by Jesus back in Matthew 6. We read it in just a second ago. Like, like in this prayer that, that, that God would give us, we request in this prayer that God would give us our daily bread. That we would rely solely on God daily, not weekly, not monthly, not annually, daily, not on Sunday morning for an hour and then you go home for the rest of the week. That we would daily rely on God every single day. Why? Because we need to continue relying on him daily for our sustenance every single day. There's an interesting story I found while I was doing some research about how to best kind of exemplify this point. After the Korean War ended, uh, South Korea was left with a large number of kids um, and they, they had been orphaned by the war. You know, mom and dad were both died or that sort of thing. And, and relief agencies, a lot of which were Christians, came in uh, to deal with all of the problems that arose with the, the connection with having so many orphan kids, right? And one of the people involved in this relief effort, they actually highlighted a problem that they encountered when they were there with the kids who were in the orphanages. And even though the kids, they had three square meals a day, they had clothing, they were clean, like they had all of their basic necessities taken care of. They were restless and they were anxious at night and because of that, they had difficulty sleeping. So we have all of these orphans who are, they're well taken care of. Granted, they lost mom and dad. Okay, but for the most part, they had no reason to worry about the next day because everything was going to be taken care of. But as they talked to the kids, they found out that the kids had anxiety about whether or not they would have food for the next day. They were concerned about it. They knew that they couldn't control that situation. So they were concerned about it. So to help resolve this problem, the relief workers uh, in one of the particular orphanages decided that, that each night uh, the, when, when the children were put to bed, the nurses there were to give them a piece of bread in each child's hand. And the, the bread wasn't to eat or anything like that. It was simply intended to be held by the kids as they went to sleep. It was a security blanket for them. Really reminding them that there would be provision for their daily needs. That they would be taken care of. And sure enough, the bread... It calmed the kids' anxieties and it helped them sleep. Right? Likewise, we take comfort in knowing that our physical needs are met, that we have food, that we have our bread, our needs are met. We have everything that we need right in front of us. So we're thinking about what it looks like to daily rely on God for our peace and for our sustenance. We have to go back to asking him for the things that we're concerned with. We have to go back to prayer so we're not anxious about anything and we present our requests to God. That's what this is telling us to do. The Israelites, you know, they, they had a hard time relying on God in this sense. And so they, they, God very specifically sent manna from heaven for them because of the fact that he heard the groanings of the Israelite people. They made their requests known to him. And because of the fact they made their needs known, God provided it for them. So it's our responsibility when we're anxious, 
when we're worried, when we're going to that sinful place of worry before that place of prayer, when we're doing those things, it's our, our responsibility to make our requests known to God. And as we do that, and we've learned how to pray, it says, God, give us this day our daily bread. And those are our needs, right? Those are our needs that it talks about. But what often happens, though, is rather than looking at our needs, especially in a very affluent culture that we are a part of, oftentimes rather than our needs, we make our requests known to God that are they're more often our wants out of those insecurities that we have in our lives. God, I really want this job. God, I really want this raise. I really want my school to make, or my kid to make it into this school district or, or onto this sports team or whatever it may be. And we make those requests known to God. And not that those things maybe aren't important to us or anything like that, but those things fall, tend to fall into more of a want category than a need category. Right? And while God hears those things, he recognizes the difference between our daily bread and wanting to fill our coffers. Right? He knows the difference between our needs and our wants. Actually, as a follow-up to the story in Exodus, it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible that rarely, rarely uh, gets talked about. There's a piece of scripture. Actually, it's in Numbers. It's in Numbers 11. You don't have to flip there. We'll have it on the screen. But it talks about the same period uh, that the Israelites are, are wandering in the desert. But it has a story about the wandering Israelites and their food. It's Numbers 11, starting in verse 4. It says this. It says, Some people were there, or some people who were, were, who were with them began to long for other food. Okay, so again, originally, God is like, hey, manna from heaven will give you meat at night and that sort of thing. But again, people of Israel began to cry out. They said, we wish we had meat to eat. Most often people think, with this verse, they're just saying, wish we had more meat to eat. Not they didn't have any meat, that there was more meat to eat. Regardless, they're complaining because they want more meat, right? Verse 5, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt. It didn't cost us anything. We also remember the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, garlic. But now we've lost all interest in eating. We never see anything but this manna. So notice the difference here. Notice the difference here. It went from the verse in Exodus where they were concerned about starvation. They were, con- they, they were saying, hey, I would rather be a slave than be out here and starve. That's where they came from. To these verses here that have the Israelites complaining about not having a good enough selection of food. Saying, hey, how come God's not lining out a buffet for us of melons and leeks and garlic? Like, what, what, God, what, like where are those things? Their desires changed, right? Not from having enough to, to get them through the day, but having the things they wanted rather than the things that they needed. And I love God's response here. It's in verses 18b, so the second half of 18 and following. It says this. It says, now the Lord will give you meat. This is Moses talking. And anybody who doesn't think God has a sense of humor, read this passage. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. You will, you will not eat it just for one or two days. You'll not eat it just for five, 10, or 20 days. Instead, you will eat it for a whole month, and you will eat it until it comes out of your nose. You will eat it until you hate it. Parents, I'm sure you recognize the tone that God is giving to the Israelites right here, right? You want your Halloween candy? Fine. Eat your Halloween candy, but you're not just going to eat one piece. You're going to eat the whole bucket, Right? That's what God is telling him here. I absolutely love this verse because God is like, hey, you want meat? I'll give you meat. I'll give you so much meat it's going to come out of your nose. 
That's biblical. Parents, use that as a reference next time your kids complain about your cooking. So notice the difference here, though, right? It went from the verse in Exodus where they're concerned about starvation to these verses that, again, have the Israelites complaining about not having a smorgasbord. So not only does God say, fine, you want some meat? I'll give you nothing but meat until it comes out of your nose. He then sends a wind to blow the quail in from the sea. And there was, and if you read through this passage, you can do the math. And I did the math in just a second. Okay, he sends wind to blow the quail in from the sea, and there was nothing but quail for as, as far as the eye could see. You could not walk, like you had to walk for over a day to be able to get to the end of quail, the, the, the end of the quail that God had provided. It actually says here that the quail were three feet high. Some people believe that God had just piled quail three feet up from the ground to somebody's knee, okay? Other people believe that the quail were flying about three feet above the ground. Doesn't matter regardless, okay? So people, the people here grabbed 60 bushels of quail each, okay? Modern conversion for a bushel of quail is about 1,900 quail, okay? So knowing then, these verses tell us that there's 600,000 people, every single person gathered at least 60 bushels of quail or 1,900 quail. Quick math will tell you that 1,900 quail times 600,000 people equals 1.14 billion birds. Billion with a B. You want meat? I'll give you meat. 1.14 billion birds worth of quail. And then to make matters worse, God not, I mean, they had all of this meat, right? But as soon as they tried to eat it, God got angry and actually cursed where it was that they were eating and started trying to get, because of the fact, they started trying to gather more than it was that they needed. They were, God was like, hey, I know you want these things. This isn't your daily bread. These are just desires that you have. These are extra things that you want. This isn't required of me. Like, th like, this is more than it is that you need. And so they didn't even get to eat any of the, those birds. Could you imagine picking up 1.14 billion birds and then as you're eating it, God's like, nope, ground is cursed. You can't eat it. That's what happens here. And it's another example of people, of humans trying to get our own way rather than simply relying on the hope that God has for us every single day. And this is obviously a much larger narrative than quail that we are eating. There's obviously a whole lot more at play. This narrative continues to drive us toward an understanding that our provision should come from God and our provision should come from God alone. Our reliance comes from God and God alone, period. That's where our reliance comes from. So think about things. Think about the things that are in your life that you are seeking to grasp control of. That thing that you are, you are white-knuckling to, to death because you are anxious about the outcome. Maybe it's a sickness. Maybe it's a, a disease of some sort. Maybe it's when your kids get to actually physically go back to school. Maybe it's fear of, uh, of COVID or fear of the political season that we're in. Whatever it is, whatever it is that you are seeking to control more of, think about that, that thing. That thing that you are, you are fearful of not being in control of that situation. Are you actively seeking to ensure that God is the one and only thing that you're relying on in the midst of uncertainty? 
Is it the one and only thing? Now, I think, I think the church has a responsibility to the rest of the community to have peace amid turmoil. God tells us that we're to be anxious for nothing. That he offers a peace that surpasses understanding. And so I think it's the responsibility of the church to have peace amid turmoil. Peace in this season. Peace in 2020. You know, if we call ourselves the bride of Christ, we call ourselves the fellowship of believers, then it's our responsibility to to follow God every day, to choose to follow God every day. That's what obedience looks like. We choose to follow him every single day. That's where we get our daily bread. That's where we rely on God. There's usually never like this grand plan that allows us to see the finish line. Like God never is like, all right, hey, here's your daily bread, but I just want you to know, here's your daily bread, but also this is what's going to happen in the future. That's rarely the case. Right? The Israelites had no clue how long it was they were going to be wandering in the desert. God simply told them, hey, I'm going to take care of you today. And I need you to rely on me to be able to take care of, to be able to take care of you. And guess what? The minute you try to hoard it for yourself, the minute you try to fill your coffers, it's going to be the same thing as having maggots. It's going to be spoiled and rotten. Say yes to me today, every single day. And there's rarely, like I said, there's rarely a, a, a grand plan that we can, we can see from the beginning. God has it all worked out, but that doesn't mean that we are given eyes to see that. And it's oftentimes those small yeses that lead us to being completely and totally reliant on God every single day. Am I saying yes to God today? Am I saying yes to his word? Am I saying yes to the things that the Holy Spirit has prompted me to? It's those small yeses. You know, Sarah and I, uh, we're Central Valley kids. Most of you have probably heard this story, but we're Central Valley kids at heart, right? I grew up in Atwater. She grew up in Kingsburg. Um, and so we love the Central Valley. And I had, I had gotten my master's degree in education, and I was going full bore into teaching. And I got a phone call from a friend of mine who said, hey, you need to, you need to go be a youth pastor at this place. And I said, okay, I'll give them a call. I gave them a call. They said, you know what? We actually have four candidates for the position. We don't need you here. It's like, great. I did my job. I said yes to God. Then they called me back a week later. They said, actually, if you're interested, we'd like to interview you. So I said, yes. And they said, hey, we'd actually like you to come preach. So I said, yes. Hey, I'd actually like to have a conversation with you over lunch. They said, yeah. I said, yes hey, we'd actually like to invite you and your family to come move four and a half hours away from anything you've ever known so you can come serve God at this church. And we said yes. And then we kept saying yes, and we kept saying yes, and we kept saying yes, and eventually that yes led us right back home. You know, if you had actually asked me when I was a teacher in Kingsburg, if I thought I was ever going to be a senior pastor in Hanford, I would say there is no direction forward for that. There's no way that would ever happen. It doesn't make any sense. I don't even know anybody in Hanford. But me saying yes to God consistently led us four and a half hours away and led us four and a half hours back to the Central Valley to be able to continue to say yes to God and help lead and shape a church in a direction that's going to honor him and serve our community. 
I had no clue what the end game was. We had no clue what the end game was. And man, we jacked it up all the time. We consistently tried to say no in the midst of those yeses. But a, a, a long obedience in the same direction as Eugene Peterson puts it, man, that allows us to be able to serve God as we say yes to him every single day, as we are obedient to him every single day. And let me tell you, you're going to mess it up. I mess it up. I mess it up every single day. We all mess it up every single day. But obedience looks like as we mess up, we say, you know what? I'm going to try again because that's what it looks like to be obedient to God. I'm going to try again. I'm going to try again. Because I need my daily bread. I need that sustenance from the Lord. It's our responsibility as a church. It's our responsibility as Christians to pray and walk in that obedience to God as we daily choose to follow him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. God, thank you for this passage. Thank you for your prayer, for the Lord's prayer. God, I thank you for the opportunity to choose you every single day. I thank you for the opportunity that that you give us the ability to come to you. You give us the ability to come to your throne. You give us the ability to make our requests known to you a holy and perfect God. And we recognize as you're holy and perfect that you are our sustenance, you are our peace, you're our provider in the midst of all of that. So God, I pray that, man, we would just continue to rely on you and begin to let go of those things that we've been white-knuckling for far too long. And maybe you're new with us. Maybe you've been checking us out online or, or in person or whatever. And you have yet to make that profession of faith to say, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus with my life. And maybe you're tired of trying to take control of everything. You're tired of the anxiety, tired of the worry that kind of comes along with that stuff. And you want God to do that work in your heart, but you need to start by saying yes to him. I'd invite you to pray along with me. Just in the silence of your heart, you can repeat after me. Say, Father, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I admit that I fall short every day. I admit that in the midst of my yeses, God, I do say no. And I fall short. I fall short of your glory. But regardless of my sin, God, B, I believe that you sent your son to die on the cross for me. That he conquered death. That because of him, I get to experience your kingdom both now and forever. So I do believe that. And C, I choose to follow you every single day. Which is those daily yeses that we need to say to you. Daily we would say yes to you. Give us this day my daily bread, Father. God, we thank you for your son who taught us how to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.